folks, it is Thanksgiving week. You know what that means? That means turkey in the belly, time with family. It means stressing over Christmas shopping when you're not quite sure what you want to get your family and friends. It means something else, too. Thanksgiving is a time to give thanks. And that's, you know, in the name. Thanksgiving is a time to think about what we have, what we're appreciative of, and what we want to do with those things we have, how we want to utilize them, how we want to appreciate them better in the coming years, and to really think ahead. And so for the last major episode of this season of the Nightcap Podcast, I want to talk about thankfulness in 2020. It is a tough year. Everybody is stressed. Everybody is concerned Um, people have been stuck inside, they've been without a job, they've been questioning a future, and there seems to be, from racial tension to presidential elections and everything else, a lot of negativity in the world, in the country, and in everyone's minds. Most people that I know are currently pretty stressed. A lot of people in my life are going through periods of change, unrest, myself included, and it has been tough out here, I would say, right? Uh, People are struggling, and mental health is not at an all-time high interconnectedness is not at an all-time high, and people, quite frankly, are wondering what there is to be thankful for. This Thanksgiving is a tough Thanksgiving for that reason. You might be unable to see your relatives and loved ones. You might be unable to do the things you've always done, like Black Friday shopping and things of that nature. It, It might be just as simple as you don't feel like celebrating this year. For today's episode, I want to talk about what there is to be thankful for, where we've come as a nation, what we're currently doing, why life is good currently in the year 2020, in the decade of the 2020s, in the century that is the 21st. I want to talk about what there is to live for, what there is to be happy for, to smile about, uh, personally, as well as as a culture. So on today's episode of The Nightcap Podcast, I'm John Sherburn, and this is being thankful 2020. tough episode to prepare for. I don't have necessarily a lot even written down because so much of what you look up on Google and on the internet seems to be geared towards negativity, right? Some of that makes sense because we are at a cultural divide. Um, I like to call it a growing pain, but maybe that's me being idealistic and a bit naive. But we are at a point of contention. And so, so much of what you're reading about, everything from politics to people, society, issues of that matter is negative and it's tough, but there's a lot of positive out there. There really is. If you spend your time with the right people, doing the right things, things that make you happy, you're going to find there is a lot of positivity. As stressful as things can be, there is a lot of curiosity. There's a lot of love, a lot of passion in the world. And and that's kind of what I want to talk about. I'm going to start with something that is a bit difficult and something that's a bit difficult to spin in a positive light. I want to talk about inclusion, understanding, race relations, gender relations, concepts of the marginalized and minority groups of our country. In 2020, things have come to a head in multiple ways, the most obvious being race relations. And in race relations, you could argue are pretty bad right now. Whether or not it's in rights, whether or not it's in public perception, whether or not it's simply in the way people are treating each other right now, it feels as though race has resurged into this hot topic of debate. 
And I don't know. On the, on the one hand, I would like to say that it is clearly better. I also understand that even just saying that is a problematic statement. If you think about what better actually means and what better should mean and what better should look like in American culture. It's easy for, especially as, you know, a white person, right, to say, hey, things are better. Back in the day, there was segregation. There was, you know, the KKK was way more involved in the world. There was a bunch of things of that nature that have gotten better factually. What does that actually mean? Coming from a place of absolute and complete oppression, a place where things were objectively horrible for a large percentage of our population, better feels like an easy place to get to. Better is the basic treating people like they're human beings, treating people like they're equals, which should be the situation from the start. And so I understand people having trouble with that concept that things are getting better. And while they are getting better, a lot of people are saying they're not getting better fast enough. This is especially obvious if you're in the group of people that is doing the right thing. If you're in the group of people that is actively trying to make the world a better place, actively trying to make people be more connected, feel more safe, have more opportunities. It's frustrating because when a percentage of the population comes out and says, oh, no, we're doing enough. Things are fine. Things are perfect. You know, it, it can be frustrating because it's like, how, how do you even combat that ideology? How do you even get a person to move from that? But that's exactly what we have to do. We have to communicate with each other. I think with the, the protests that happened this year, that became difficult, but also that's exactly what we needed, right? We need conversation. The good thing about the protests is that it got people who wouldn't have talked about it talking about it. The internet was explosively speaking for weeks on this topic and it's still around. It's still happening. We're still having, you know, demonstrations, protests. We had the, the Sunni shutdown in the beginning of the year. There was a bunch of different things that our country, my state of New York, individuals are doing to try to make things better to talk about it. And as much as there are people on the right side and the wrong side of it, as much as there's disagreement on what the situation should be with how we should treat the police and how the police should be treating us and, you know, should we defund them? Should we have conversation? Are things fine the way they are? That stuff feels difficult. But the conversation is there and it's never been there before. Even if you look at stuff like, you know, the Rodney King protests, if you looked at even the protests in like 2015, it seemed a lot farther away. It seemed like this wasn't happening. And so this is good. This conversation is beneficial. The divide is getting smaller and it will continue to as long as we speak. I think that's huge. I think it's huge for us to communicate with each other and to understand each other as people, not just uh, statistics. As much as things today feel divided and you have people not listening to each other, people in, in places that don't feel like they can connect with people in other places, we are more connected today than ever. And I think there's a very easy way to understand this. Back in the 1950s and 60s, our whole culture was divided. It's really easy to view it in terms of the black and white populations because that was the most glaringly uh, problematic, difficult, exclusionary, racist, oppressive thing was that dichotomy of people. But back then... You were in your group and you stayed in your group, whether you were Catholic or Protestant, whether you're white or black, whether you were, you know, Irish or Italian, right? There, there was all sorts of groupings that were built up and stacked up on each other. And some people had it worse than others in different areas of our country, but everyone seemed to be in a group and you had that kind of tribalist mentality in America. And I think it's one of the best things that we've broken down. 
There are slight areas of tribalism, but they're much more broad. It's more the concept of being in the city versus being in the rural areas. It's more the concept of being in the boomer generation versus being in the millennial generation. You have these millions of people in a group as opposed to smaller groups, right? Where in New York City, there might be 30 different cultural groups that were all very tight-knit and there was no moving about. Things such as generational gaps and things such as, you know, in terms of housing and stuff and, and where you live in the country locationally, those are not based on issues such as race. And that is where you see more of our divide coming today. Obviously, there is a race divide still, but we've broken down a lot of the, um, I'd say, physical indicator biases in some capacity. And again, this is why people have an issue. This is why people have an issue. Better is not good. And, it's, and to everybody that's on the right side of this, it feels so obvious, right? It feels so obvious that it's, just, it's easy. Treat everybody equally. When you apply that to large groups of people, it gets more difficult, only due to the fact that large groups of people don't act like small groups or individuals act. And so individually, everyone can say, yeah, no, no, I don't do anything wrong. Everything's fine. When you put everyone together, you realize that some people are far at this end of the spectrum. Other people are over there. And your opinions on what fine or correct is aren't unilateral. And so that's where you start to have issues. And America has so many of those issues because America has so many different opinions. People saying this is correct or this is incorrect. And as a result, it it, it creates a bit of a divide. But divide aside, we are doing our best to work together. And I think that's something we need to do more of. I think that's something that throughout this decade we should try to do. Unite as a singular voice. Unite as a people to say, hey, what do we all want as a group? Don't think about your America. Think about our America. Don't think about America for your age group or for your racial group or for because or because of your or as your economic group. Think of America as a as a large place with people in all sorts of groups that need different things. All equally need different things. Your needs are not above anybody else's. Your wants are not above anybody else's. Your America is not the better America than anybody else's. All of our wants and all of our needs should be taken into account. And together, we can work to get to a place where everyone feels that their needs are being relatively met, compromised for, accessible to them. And that's where we need to go. Not into our camps against the wall saying, fuck you from across the building. It's much more important for us to talk together and communicate. And communication is something I want to get into next because I think one of the best aspects of our current culture is our ability to communicate, to connect with each other more so than ever before. And this is kind of going to be the main part of the episode. And then I'm going to get into some facts, figures, and graphs, and things about how the world's actually physically gotten better from a numerical data-based perspective. But before that, I want to talk about what I think is the most The thing I'm most thankful for, honestly, I guess I'll get personal with you guys. The thing I'm most thankful for in this world is our ability to talk to each other like this. Like back in the day, right, when in the 60s, 70s, 80s, it was so difficult to communicate. You had to get together with people in real life. So you had to, you know, join all these clubs in person. You had to talk to your local whatever. And, And as a result, I think this is why people were more into their own circles because There was no way to connect with people from faraway distances. You had to just be with the people around you. So if you lived in a town that didn't have your interest expressed, you're done. You you can't do anything. You You can't be a part of a group. You have to just be an individual. If you're the only person in your town that likes to birdwatch, it's over. You're an individual birdwatcher, and that's all it is. But nowadays, it is so much easier, and I love that. The internet has made it so easy for people to connect over large distances with nothing in common 
but they're common interests. And I think that's absolutely beautiful. The benefit of this connectivity, I believe, is that it allowed us all as a group to understand each other better. It has allowed us to have breaking downs of things like stereotypes and coming together in terms of how we see each other. I will, I guess, first talk about just the simple idea. I was talking to my friend actually recently. We were, we were driving the car and I was talking about how my older sister said when she was younger, right, when she was in high school, the guy always picked the girl up for the date, right? Classic, traditional mentality. And if you look back even farther, you can look in the 90s, 80s, 70s. That, that's always been the case, right? The man picks up the woman. They go on the date, pays for it, brings her home by 10 or else her dad's going to have a problem. Very patriarchally based tradition, but a tradition nonetheless. And in recent years, it, you've just seen little things like that change. You've seen the way men and women interact with each other change. You've seen people become more comfortable making jokes with each other they wouldn't have made 30 years ago. You've seen, you know, some of these gender stereotypes and these, um, I guess, relational roles change where, you know, anyone can be buying the dinner. Anybody can be driving for the day. You've seen some of this stuff move around. And I think part of it is due to the fact that we get to just see each other existing in a space where no one has to worry about how they're perceived. If you're on Twitter, right, you have a bunch of people on Twitter. You can see your friends from school or from work or from whatever. And everyone is just tweeting their thoughts and opinions. And these are people you might not know those opinions about. People maybe not wouldn't feel comfortable sharing those opinions in person, or you don't know them like that. So in, in, that, in the place of work or in that classroom or at that meeting or whatever, you wouldn't hear those opinions. But social media allows you to hear those opinions. And so all of a sudden, it's not that you have to actually sit down with somebody and ask for their opinions, but you can know what they're thinking in terms of politics. You know what they're thinking in terms of, you know, normal life stuff. And as a result, we're out of our heads more. Things I would never say out loud in person. Things that it would be uncomfortable to say, this is how I feel about this. Or, or when I wake up in the middle of the night, this is what's on my mind. Those things, all of a sudden, you're just tweeting at an empty wall. You get to throw out that idea into the world. And if no one likes it, it's just like it was in your head. It doesn't matter. You don't see the dislikes. You don't see all the people that looked at it and, and didn't care unless you really want to. You get to throw it into the ether and then the people that agree with you will like it back. And you can say, oh my God, that person understands what I'm saying. That person gets me. And this is something that I don't think anybody had for a very, very long period of time. And you're seeing the changes. Gen Z is the first generation that grew up completely with the internet. And the millennial generation in the second half had a similar upbringing. And these people... This, you know, from the year maybe 1995 babies to, to now, you're seeing people growing up in a world where they can connect with whoever they like. They can connect with people. They can talk whatever they want at any given point, and you'll have a community to back you up, which is amazing because if your family doesn't support you or your friends don't support you or your community where you live doesn't support you, you can still have support. And so I think people are becoming more open. They're becoming more understanding and accepting because on top of that concept, you also get to see people you disagree with, perspectives you'd never know. So someone that might have grown up in rural America in the 60s would have no concept of what the city was like. They'd have no concept of the needs of the city, the inner workings of the city, the culture of a city. It would be impossible for them to really understand. Vice versa, and, and the same goes across the board for every group of people that you can split into a duality. And yet, nowadays, you can you can know what the plight of, or what the idea of, or what the conversation of any group of people, any topic is, if you want, just by seeing. You can look it up, and you can all of a sudden say, okay, this is what, you know, Republicans say. This is what Democrats say. This is what older people, younger people say, think, feel about whatever topic. 
and it allows for a better dissemination of ideas from person to person directly. That is huge. Throughout history, it's pretty much been we're at the mercy of those telling the stories. So we're at the mercy of the media, the newspapers, we're at the mercy of our political leaders and our community leaders. What they tell us is what we get to know. And so if something is falsely represented, there's no checks and balances, none, absolutely zero. So if a newspaper all reports that this one thing happened this way, right? Oh, this boat blew up because this person bombed it. Everyone says, oh, okay, it blew up because that person bombed it. Nowadays, a hundred key witnesses, a hundred videos, everybody with their own opinion, half the people saying, no, 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 that blew up by itself. Other people saying, no, no, they blew it up. Other groups saying, oh, no, this is what happened. And all of a sudden, there's a discourse. Automatically, there's a discourse. Before the papers even hit the presses, there is a discourse about what is happening. And while, on the one hand, people don't necessarily utilize that discourse well, some people already say, oh, if you don't believe this, you're a problematic, or if you don't believe in this, you're a snowflake, or whatever. We have the opportunity to discuss every topic out there. It's something that we underutilize, but it is done more now than it ever was. And while certain platforms are uh, inundated with a certain viewpoint, and most platforms do have a leaning viewpoint in terms of everything from politics to social opinion, you still get to have that discourse. People still get to communicate their opinions. And as a result, ideas are disseminated better. Another concept I want to talk about is stereotyping. And I think stereotyping has gotten a lot harder to do than it used to be. Obviously, there's a lot of stereotypes. Most of those stereotypes are negative, And most of those stereotypes are untrue for all groups of people, whether it's for your race or your gender or your socioeconomic background or your opinions on different issues. There is a lot of stereotyping that goes on. But better than ever, we are breaking down the barriers of stereotyping. And here's the negatives of stereotyping. To take out the politics and the social repercussions, I'm going to use something that is relatively uh, not charged socially. When I was growing up, I wanted to be a teacher my whole life. From like seventh grade through the end of high school, I wanted to be a teacher. And it was uh, always very interesting to me because people always talked about how, you know, um, you know, little girls need to see women in positions of whatever power, positions of whatever uh, in television and film, because if they don't see that, they're going to, you know, not think about doing it themselves. You, you, same with race, right? You want to have, you know, superheroes of color. You want to have heroes that, that break these gender norms, these race norms, whatever it is. And, and I can honestly speak to that. And I can understand that because growing up, I was lucky, obviously, being a teacher, you get to grow up and see your teachers. Most of my teachers were women. I had a couple male teachers, and I think that's probably what pushed me to even consider doing it. But it's one of those things where anytime you're watching television, anytime you're watching a movie, teachers tend to be women. And as a result, there's not a lot of representation. And so it's a small concept, and there's other things that are probably better suited examples. But it's an easy concept because that's something that's not supercharged. And so you can see that concept though. If you don't, if you see something a specific way on television and film, that's what you're going to associate it with. And this is double if there's no way for you to see it in real life. And I'm going to use the example of nationalism for that. If you've never been to France and you don't know any French people, the only understanding you have of France is what you see. And back in the day, that might only be a few movies or television shows. And so if those television shows romanticize France or vilify France or whatever, you're going to think of France as that and French people as that. You see this with America a lot. 
foreigners will come to America and expect everything to be a certain way because there's so much American television. And so much, and, and so what happens on American soap operas, American dramas, American comedies is what they expect American life to look like, American people to look and act like. And if you're American and you think about all those shows, you go, a lot of that stuff isn't really how it works. And that is something that I think all of us in a way can understand. And so as a result, for a long period of time, we had a lot of these false opinions of different people. There's a David Lynch short called The Cowboy and the Frenchman that discusses this. It's stereotypical versions of, of American Westerners, of French people, of Native Americans. And, and it's pretty much a, a satirical comment on how we view each other in our, in, as nothing more than an amalgamation of the most intense stereotypes we know about those people. But nowadays, it's harder to do that because I might see videos from France, random videos, videos of a French protest, videos of a French cafe, videos of the mountains of France and a small town in France. And, and then all of a sudden, boom, I have this mosaic of what French life actually is like because it's being filmed by real people, uncensored, uncommitted, not for profit or anything, just those people sharing their lives. So the concept of microhistory comes into play. Microhistory is this um, developed concept. You know, it's, it's a class that some schools offer to take. It's a concept that people talk about. And it's the concept of the, the individual in a larger society. So as opposed to speaking about Napoleon's conquest, you're going to be talking about an individual soldier's experience in Napoleon's conquest or uh, a, a regular housewife uh, in the Industrial Revolution or whatever. Nowadays, microhistory is everywhere. It's evident in social media, it's evident in YouTube, and it's evident in podcasting. The reason I like podcasting is because it allows for a million shows just like mine, where a random person can talk about things they care about, and, and other people will listen. They'll sit there and they'll listen to you talk about something, they don't know you, they don't have any reason to listen to you, or even if they do know you, they don't know you like this. And yet I get to put out my opinions. And if a thousands and thousands of people do that, that means thousands and thousands of regular folks' opinions on any given day are being broadcasted, and it's making a mosaic of what it's like to be us. And that's beautiful. I mean, think about what that's going to mean in the future. Imagine if you could go back and you could hear the opinions, the voices, the images of people in the 90s or the 80s or the 50s or the 30s or the 1800s, right? Hear their day-to-day -day opinions on stuff. You could hear everybody's day-to-day -day opinions on, say, slavery back in 1840. And you could understand truly what was happening, the, 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 the intricacies of everyone's opinions. Whether you were a slave owner, whether you were a slave, whether you were whatever, you could actually see what each individual thought, as opposed to seeing what historians or the pundits of the time were telling us people thought. And maybe that's a, a, a jacked-up example. But we still have that ability to see what was actually happening through the lens of the people experiencing it. That is huge. That has never been possible, aside from the last five, maybe ten years. And I think the result of this is going to be huge. Whether it's because kids will have easier time doing research projects when they're older, or historians have a better time categorizing the opinions and emotions of the time, whatever it is. You can hear everybody's opinion on coronavirus, everybody's opinion on race relations, everybody's opinion on the 2020 election. You can know more from more perspectives than ever before. And honestly, it is what I am most thankful for in our society. Our ability as individuals to have a voice and have representation of our own ideas without the lens of uh, anyone else is huge. It's uh, insurmountable. It, it honestly makes me emotional because of how important that is to maintain and to uphold. 
This is why I'm against censorship. This is why I'm pro having people with bad opinions allowed to speak those opinions to as many people as they want. Because it's good to know what those people are thinking. Because if you silence any group of people, you're not going to make their opinions go away. You're just going to make them quiet. And when they're quiet, they're going to get angry. When they're angry, they're going to group together with like-minded people. When they do that, something dangerous could happen. It is better to let people get their opinions out and then have the majority break those opinions down in whatever way they break down than to make someone sit and stew in those opinions. That is when you have extreme levels of regressed anger, repressed anger and rage come out in, in horrific forms. And so nobody should feel like an outsider. Nobody should feel like their opinions can't be said. And this goes for every group, any group across the spectrum needs to be able to talk. Everybody needs to be able to talk and be humanized because it's so easy for places like the media to dehumanize groups of people or politics to dehumanize groups of people or your own brain to dehumanize a group of people that you've never met. But in reality, the worst people among us are still human beings and it's important to know what that person's thinking, right? You know, even, this is the worst example, right? Even a school shooter. I want to know what's in that school shooter's head, honestly, because then it'll help you understand and potentially stop that from happening again if we understand what the mindset of people is at. Now, at the farthest end of the spectrum, fuck those people. But it's still good to know what they're thinking. Maybe then history won't repeat itself. Maybe the reason history repeats itself is because the people enacting history are the ones that no one knows what they're thinking and no one knows how to not get to that place themselves. When in the future, they might be able to look back at some people who radicalized voices who became extreme, whether it was in a good or a bad way, and say, this is where they were 10 years before that. This is where their social media footprint was, and this is where it led to, and this is why it happened. And it'll allow for a better understanding of everybody's brains, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the beautiful, like me. Another aspect of the internet that I'm going to talk quickly on before I move forward is just our ability to kind of help each other and and be with each other, I look at things like, like Kickstarter. And it's very interesting to me where back in the day, if something bad happened, a community would get together and, and your neighbors maybe would pitch in some money to help you through an accident or to help you start up a, you know, a business or something. And as much as we're kind of missing that community nowadays, there's a new community, the global community. And the world community comes together to, to help people, whether that's an individual suffering or it's uh, a great example is recently the, the Dublin Zoo was going to close down because they've lost a lot of money due to coronavirus. And in 12 hours, a million euros were raised, or whatever the fuck the Irish use. Doubloons? Yeah. Yep, they use doubloons in Dublin. That's what it is. A million doubloons <laughs> were raised, and that's beautiful. And that wouldn't have been possible if it was just maybe the people of Dublin. That might not have been able to happen. That might have not been able to happen to happen that might have not been able to happen I'm not going to cut that I'm not going to edit that I want you to hear that mistake and so I find that to be beautiful another example are open art is what I'll say the ability for anyone to kind of put their art out whether that's a, a young person trying to be a musician or a film student or you know whatever all of us can have our YouTubes our podcasts all of us can have our projects get out in the world and, you know, for a small percentage, they might end in fame, glory, doubloons. But for most people, you're still going to live your normal life. Not everyone's going to be a famous superstar. So for most people, you're going to have a normal life with your hobbies, a normal life with your 
you know, interests, your work, your family. But you might have the opportunity to show someone something. Even if you only have 10,000 listens on your Spotify. Or, you know, your podcast only gets a, a few dozen people watching it. Or whatever. You, you still have the ability to impact those people. That's my big thing. I don't have a huge podcast. I'm not famous. I'm not making a bunch of money off this show. But what I do have is the ability to, you know, a couple, you know, I, I get, you know, however many people listen to each episode. And a handful of people reach out to you. They say, hey, I, this episode is really interesting. It makes me think about this. Or it makes me think about that. And I don't know if I represent adequately how much that means to me. When someone, especially someone I don't know or someone I barely know, says, you know, comments to me or talks to me about what my podcast made them think about. I mean, it's beautiful. Because if, if this didn't exist and the internet wasn't around, I would just be ranting drunkenly to my friends and they'd all be saying, shut the hell up, we don't care. But now I get people that get to listen to what I'm saying and, and maybe it'll change their mind on something or it'll teach them something. I know that I'm taught all the time by the shows I listen to. And I, I recommend everybody get their creativity out there. We all need creative outlets in this world. Every single human being needs a creative outlet. And it's easy to put it out in the world. And it doesn't matter if anyone listens or likes it. It just matters that you're at least making yourself a creative diary. And at most, if one, two, ten, a hundred people see it and enjoy it, you're changing the world. You're in putting your culture out there. You're putting your opinions out there. And it might change someone's life. And that's beautiful. And so that's why I love the internet. That's why I, I, I like the internet. It provides a supportive environment. It provides historical database. It provides everything for people to just be able to exist and be heard and be an individual with worthwhile opinions. And that's absolutely beautiful. As much as some of this stuff is nice to be thankful for, there is a lot of stuff that we should really be thankful for. Even just, I'm going to quickly talk about the UN Sustainable Development Goals. And these are huge. Uh, it's obvious stuff like no poverty, no hunger. We want uh, life on lands, life on water, climate change to all be in a, a good place, right? We want people to be able to, we want literacy, complete literacy across the, uh, the world, gender equality, race equality. We want countries to work together to make a better environmental, a better economic, a better equal world where people have standard of living increases every year. And while it's not perfect, we are getting there. I promise. Sometimes it seems scary, but we are getting there. A great example of this is poverty. Extreme poverty. Extreme poverty is the concept of, what, $2 a day? Something around there? And, and, that's, and that's insane. If you think about it from an American perspective, uh, uh, homeless people, for the most part, don't even live on $2 a day. And so that's a low bar. But across the world, there's a lot of people living in different situations than you might be used to. But over the course of the last 50 years, it's gone down so much. In, in different areas, some areas like Africa and uh, Southeast Asia, it was as high as 60% of the population living in extreme poverty. And those numbers have gone down. Africa's seen the least decrease, and that's still a 20% decrease. 20% of the population less is living in extreme poverty than it was a couple decades ago. And, and that's beautiful as the concept that it is that's the least amount of progress almost every single area of the world has gone from 60 percent to under 20 percent literally almost every other area of the entire planet aside from africa has gone from 1990 to 2013 down below 20 percent and that is 
beautiful. The ability for more people to have more resources to help themselves, their families, their futures is, I think, the most important thing out there. Because opportunity is what breeds ability to have a better time. And if you give everybody more opportunity and everybody more ability, eventually you're going to have a better world. And that's honestly what the whole thing's about. Uh, other concepts to keep in mind are little things. I mean, they're big things, but life expectancy is up across the planet, everywhere. Life expectancy is up. Um, there's slight dips here and there for different reasons. But for the most part, people are doing better in terms of how long they're living. Child mortality is down. World literacy is up to the highest point it's ever been. And they're thinking that most people will be literate in the next couple decades. Completely. Almost every single person on the planet will be able to read. Which is huge. We need to get there. Because, again, giving somebody re the ability to read is giving them access to learning for themselves. I think that's huge. When we invented the printing press, we changed the world. Because you don't have to rely on other people to tell you the truth. Because maybe it's not. You can rely on yourself to learn the truth if you so want to know it. And that's huge. Even as the price of food has gone down, you think about, you know, back in the day, you know, meat's cheaper, right? So every day you can have better food, better protein for cheaper. There's negatives to it, like how we get that meat and why it's cheaper. And maybe it's too cheap. And maybe we should be eating less meat, John says, not trying to put his opinions too hard into this podcast and potentially failing. But the amount of income spent on food is, is less than it has been in America in the last 50 years. It is the lowest money we've ever spent on food. We're spending more on food away from home. We're spending more money on, on, on eating out. But we're spending less money on food totally. By It used to be 18% of our income was spent on food. Now it's about 10% of our income. So we've gone down a lot in terms of how much of our paycheck goes into food for the week. But we've also seen leisure time go up. We have on average eight hours more leisure time than we used to every week. And that's huge. It's an hour or more a day that you can have for time. Stuff like hobbies. Stuff like maybe starting a podcast and hiring me to be your editor because I need money and I'm poor. And, 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 you know, the easy one is diseases, everybody. We've cured a lot of diseases, a lot of issues in this world, especially right now. Cough, cough, COVID. But we've cured so many diseases or made diseases livable. Everything from, you know, TB to whooping cough to chicken pox and more. Tetanus. Things that used to kill people are not killing people. And medically, we've made so much progress. The 20th century was insane. The amount of things we fixed, cured, or mitigated in the 20th century is extremely impressive. One of the most impressive aspects of that entire time period. And it's something to think about, something to consider. And again, the world seems like it's getting worse. Everywhere you turn, it's this issue's gotten worse, and this thing's gotten bad, and there's more of these than ever before, and there's more of that than ever before. But the lot is getting better. The average person is living a better life. And while the rich get richer at a faster rate every year, while wages in some ways have stagnated, uh, at the same time, we're living in a place with more money and opportunity than ever before. The fact that most people can afford to have things like smartphones and computers, most people can have their own cars. I mean, the amount of money we're making is going up. It is going up. It used to be, the average income is, I think, $20,000 more than it used to be. Now, it has stagnated. The 20th century is mostly to blame, positively? Is it blame if it's positive? Mostly. The 20th century is mostly to accredit, where between 1970 and 1990, the uh, housing structure system and the, 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 the pricing system for, for, sorry, the pay system has gone up. Most of the pay increase was in those years, but it's gone up. Things are getting better. Things are going up. Things are moving quicker. They can be harder. 
And like I say, there are growing pains. Our country is in a state of movement. We're moving from a, a nationalistic country to a globalist country. We're moving from uh, a country where there was uh, one voice dictated by a specific group of people. There's now many voices dictated by many people. And the reason there's so much pain and suffering and difficulty is because we're trying to break down things that have been around for a very long time. Whether it's police you know, brutality, whether you're talking about race relations, whether you're talking about you know, homophobia, there are negatives to our society that have been around forever. But they're getting better because people are talking about them. Where 50 years ago, nobody was talking about them. Nobody was discussing them because no one gave a shit. And people give a shit now. We're working against a long history of people allowing negative things to happen to other people. Think about how violent things used to be, even just 50, 60 years ago. Think about how many countries, and even in our own country, where there was, you know, public executions, <laughs> things of that nature that seem barbaric now, that used to be commonplace. And, and if you look at anything and you see that it seems less barbaric than it used to, that means that we're growing. Sometimes slower than we should, other times so fast we don't even know what to do. But as a general concept, we are becoming a more accepting nation. We're becoming a smarter nation. More people um, are doing more work, better work, higher levels of education, higher levels of discourse, which I guess leads me back to how much I love the internet because it allows people to learn on their own, have their own voice, have their own opinion, be heard, and be a part of the majority as opposed to silent. You get to be a part of, of whatever groups you want, how big or how small, and you get to maybe make a difference in the world. And so that was kind of my rambling episode on uh, what's not so bad. You know, there's negative aspects to a lot of things, but there's also a lot of positives. And I think that this Thanksgiving, that's what we have to think about. We have to think about what is happening in our world that is better. What is happening that allows for more people to be happier? What is happening that allows for the better dissemination of ideas, the better dissemination of, uh, of people's interests, people's needs, happiness? And so think always about what we can change. I think the class divide is the biggest issue in this country. And I think the class divide is being pushed as other things by a lot of people to make it easy for us not to fix the class divide. But I think that that, the wealth gap, money, since we're such a money-driven society, money is important. And as a result, we need to discuss it. But it's okay. You have your friends, you have your family, you have the world around you, you have hope, you have the future. You have time. Yeah, so go create something. Go make something. Uh, tell the people in your life that you love them. Don't, don't take them for granted. Don't take the world that we have for granted. As fucked up as it could be, it's our world. It's where we're at. We can do nothing but make it better. We can do nothing but change it. You know, you can't blame the past for what it is, but you can blame us for what the future's going to be. So just keep that in mind as you go through your day. Keep that in mind as you go through your week. I'm going to be posting this at the beginning of Thanksgiving week. And so we're going to be, you know, I don't know, chilling. I'll also say that I'm not really sure what the future is for this show. So um, I guess here's the situation. I'm going to be taking December off. No episodes in December. In January, I'm going to have four random episodes on different topics that I find important with no particular season involved. And then in February, I'm going to start releasing season four, which is T, well, not to be determined, but to be announced uh, what it's going to be about, but I'm going to start recording all that in December. So you're not going to hear from me for a few weeks. When I'm back, I'll be back full force with four or five episodes that you're going to love. And then in February, you're going to be getting a whole new season through March 
uh, of the Nightcap podcast. And after that, we're going to see. So thank you, as always, for listening. If you got this far, you're a goddamn homie. So I want to say thank you. And uh, I will see you potentially for one more episode after this on just me kind of giving the updates. But if not, it has been a beautiful ride. It has been a beautiful fall. And as we get into winter and hunker down, I'm going to have some new episodes for you on a whole bunch of topics. My name is John Shiburn, and this has been, as always, the Nightcap Podcast. And I have, as always, enjoyed talking to you. So, until next time. Harvey Weinstein locked away, Trump impeachment up in flames, COVID virus hits the globe, better stay at home. Chadwick Boseman, Regis Philbin, Kobe Bryant, Van Halen, Ruth Bader, Peter Green, why'd you have to go? I love you guys. Porter Peak, murder job, no rocks in Vietnam, Bung Jung, parasite sweeps the whole Oscars night, Italy in quarantine, George Floyd, I can't breathe, Alex Trebek, Bank, we out, died a prima, goodbye. We didn't stop the fire, and the 2020s fall, oh, 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 they should have 2020, I'm so scared for our fucking future. Stock exchange, slip and fall, protest rage in Hong Kong, fires in Australia, UK withdraw. China, something wrong, flooding and that train got bombed, Cali fires, Beirut lies, election mail and fraud. Putin's fine, oil leak, no he's not retiring, murder, hornets, he's sick bed, where is Giuliani's hand? Borat, Biden, just laying out of hiding, US cops, Mason Hand, did it start in Wuhan? <laughs> This is, this was season three. You guys like season three? This is the whole fucking thing. Fuck.